So I'm going to pray for the word, for the time in the word, and then we'll jump into Matthew chapter 9. So let's pray. God, I thank you for bringing everybody here. Thank you for the time of worship that was so sweet. Thank you for that testimony, God, that our team went and learned how to love the person in front of them and learned how to partner with Jesus in deeper ways and got to see your kingdom draw near to people's lives and got to see the impact of Jesus drawing close to a group of people. And thank you that whenever that happens, it's amazing and it's life-giving for us and it's life-changing for them. And so we just thank you for this time, God. I pray that in the same way that you would bless this word, Lord, that it would be similar to the testimony that went forth about Mozambique, God, where when you draw near to a group of people, Lord, that, that God, that lives are changed, that life is imparted, that joy is there, God, and that we walk away different. So we give you the rest of this time and ask that it be supernaturally powerful. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're going to read out of Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 14. So if you want to turn there, feel free to join me. So the passage that will be familiar to many. And uh, we'll go normal style where we read it, we unpack it a little bit, find out what, it was, what was going on in the story, and then apply it to our lives. So let's get in there. Matthew chapter 9, verse 19. Then John's disciples came to him and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making it the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins, for if they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. I feel like every time somebody asks Jesus a question, he can't, you know, what you almost never hear is him just go like, oh, it's because of this, you know? It's it's always this long drawn out thing where you got to imagine the people that are like, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, I I don't, I kind of don't know what he's talking about. Um, But what we'll, what we'll see here is that there's two camps that are, that are inquiring here kind of in the fasting camp. So there's John's disciples and there's the Pharisees. So John's disciples, there was this guy named John the Baptist that even people in Africa in remote places know about somehow, uh, asking <laughs> our John about John the Baptist. Who is this guy? Who's this guy, John the Baptist? And John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. So he comes right before Jesus is coming on the scene, and he is coming to prepare the way of the Lord. And John comes, and he has the same exact message as Jesus does. And in Matthew, it actually seems—it's it's word for word where it says, John came preaching, and it says uh, that the kingdom of God has drawn near, and that people need to repent. And then it says Jesus' message was exactly the same thing. That people got—that people, the kingdom of God has drawn near, and that people need to repent. 
And so John the Baptist, his whole thing was coming before Jesus, and his message was about the kingdom of God drawing near. But what he did was he called out people's need for God in a very direct way. He would tell them, like the Pharisees would come to him and they'd say, you know, what are you doing out here? And he'd say, you brood of vipers. Call him a brood of vipers. And he'd tell them, you know, like, you need to repent. The axe is at the base of the tree, basically, like, meaning God's judgment is coming soon, and you need to, like, you need to get your life in order. And so he was super intense. He was out in the wilderness, and he wore weird clothes, like camel's hair with a leather belt, and he eat locusts and honey out in there, and he's in the middle of nowhere. And so he's got disciples, people that follow him around, and they do what he does. That's what disciples do. They do what their leader does. And so they fasted a ton. I mean, the, the lifestyle that you could imagine that they were living was not a comfortable one. They're out in the wilderness with John because they're his disciples, so they live where he lives. They eat what he eats. They do what he does. And so we see the lifestyle that John lived, and that was one of fasting and fasting a lot. And then you see the Pharisees as well. So these are the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the time, and they fast a ton. Uh, some scholars believe they fasted uh, just water, so they were just drinking water, but food, com complete food fasts for two days a week. Two days a week, no food. That sucks. That sounds awful. That sounds awful. Um, and so these are the two camps where Jesus and his disciples step on the scene, and it seems like from the scripture here that they never fasted. <laughs> Who wants to follow Jesus, right? <laughs> Feasting and fasting. Awesome. So, so you've got these two like very different groups that are behaving in very different ways. You've got the ones that are like fasting and, and not eating very much, and that's painful and stuff. And then you've got this other group. And so it's, it's very—you can understand it, right? John is saying like, hey, I'm preparing the way for the Lord, and it's this very specific lifestyle. And then the Lord, who he's preparing the way from, takes over, and it's this very different lifestyle. They're like, this guy's, this guy's completely different than— than the guy that we were following before, and it shows up in a number of different ways in fasting in this one. And so they're like, what is going on here? How come you never fast? And so he gives this answer, and he says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? And so you get right here, you get Jesus's answer, which is fasting is appropriate for some seasons, and when it's appropriate for that season, then we'll fast, and my disciples will fast too. But fasting's not appropriate for every season. And while the bridegroom is with the guests, that's not a time to fast. That's a time to party. That's a time to celebrate. It's a time to rejoice. It's a time to thank God for the beautiful things that he's doing. It's a time for, you know, to get caught up in joy. And it's not a time for sackcloth and ashes and fasting. And so he says, like, basically his answer is, you need to align the religious activity that you're doing to the season that you're in. And, and that's why we don't fast. And, and in that, there's this kind of invitation to them. If I was standing there, I'd be like, can I stop fasting? Like, that would be my first thing. I'd be like, is this an excuse for me to get out of this thing and, and stop fasting? But it would be this, this broader challenge of, oh, maybe I've been living my religious life where the activities that I do that I deem religious and are pleasing to God are static and never change. And this guy's challenging me to change the way I interact with that. 
This guy's challenging me, and he's saying, like, hey, that's not, a, that's not appropriate. Like, there's a shifting dynamic that's going on around you constantly. And your religious activity needs to align to the thing that God is doing now, not to the thing that God was doing yesterday. And so if you think about this, if you were one of these disciples, you'd be like, well, was I wrong to do it all this time? And I think Jesus' answer would be like, no, 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 no. Like, that was appropriate when I wasn't on the scene. It's not that your religious activity was always bad and that I'm coming and I'm telling you to do it a different way and you should feel guilty about the way you've done it in the past. It's more like I'm challenging you now that, that things have changed, you should take that dynamic into account. And so you can imagine, like, the disciples would probably have this moment where they're faced with change and faced with a different perspective on their religious lifestyle and their activities that go around that to think, like, man, do I really do this for the Pharisees? I've been fasting a really long time. Like, this is what religious life has looked like for, for my entire life. And now this guy is telling me to reassess it and to bring possible change. And I'll tell you, there's a couple of things that, that immediately, from the very get-go, this is where we're going to go with this. There's a couple of challenges that I want to have for us. When you go from a life where the religious activities, the praying, the fasting, the taking communion, the small group Bible studies, the coming to church, the singing worship songs before church, the listening to the preacher, when, when, when you've just done those things your entire life, what I'm not saying is that those are bad things. Jesus is clearly not saying that fasting is a bad thing. But what he does say is that the things that you do should be based upon a dynamic that's shifting around you. That God is not always going to interact with you in the same way, and God is not always going to have the environment around you the same way as it is when he tells you to do something. And so if you enter into this new place where that's all shifting and the expectation from God, if you're going to live a life that's pleasing to God and life-giving, just a joyous, delightful life with God, it moves you into this kind of challenging zone where there's a, you're out of the safety where you don't have to think about this stuff anymore. If you think about it, there's actually a peace and a safety to living in the one where the religious activity just doesn't change. It's always the same. You don't have to think about it. Every day, I get up, I pray, and I fast, maybe fast through breakfast, and then after that, I feel like I'm pleasing to God, and I listen to worship music right at 12, and then I come home, and the first thing I do when I walk in the door is I, I pray, and then after that, I call my pastor, and then after that, I listen to a Bethel sermon, and then I go to sleep, and I do that every day. You just don't have to think about it anymore. But when you start thinking about what is God doing now in my life, in the community around me, in my church family, in the lives of my friends, then all of a sudden there needs to be this active thing between you and God that's totally different from the old place where you can have, honestly, no relationship with God whatsoever. And it doesn't matter because you have your thing. And so Jesus is, is indirectly putting a demand on the disciples of John and the, disciple, the Pharisees and saying, like, hey, you guys need to get current with God. Like, the way that you interact with God is expired. 
And, and you need to change the way that you interact with God where there's this thing where, where you're looking at what's going on with God and you're adapting and you're changing to it as it comes. So you need to be thoughtful. You need to be on your toes. You need to be interacting with God. You need to be alert and alive and looking at the environment around you and saying, okay, what is God doing now and what does that demand of me? So that's number one. Number two is if the religious activities and the things that go around this idea of living a life pleasing to God and a life appropriate for us as children of God, then the other thing that it does is it eliminates comparison in a really interesting way. So think about it. If what God's telling all of us to do all the time is always the same, then you as a Pharisee can step back and you can say, you're not doing it, and you're not doing it, and you're not do- you're a bad disciple? Oh, you're a good disciple. But there's this objective standard that everybody's sitting under that you need to re- at least fast two times a day, you need to give of your herbs and your spices and your tithe and everything, all of this stuff. But it's static, so you can judge, and you can make determinations on people's lives. And you can go, oh, that organization is completely missing it, because they should be doing this if they're going to please God. And that person over there, they're not doing it, right? Because they would be doing these, these, and these things. But if it's now a dynamic, and you live in a different context than I live in, and God's speaking to you maybe different stuff based upon what's going on in your heart or your family background or your life that you've lived, now the judgment thing is really hard. Now I can't look at your life and be like, hey, all you do is party in the Lord. Like, when are you ever serious? Right? I can't, I can't do that. Like, do you ever fast? I'm fasting three times a week. Like, that whole dynamic doesn't work anymore because God could be telling you to fast three times a week and telling that person to party all the time. And so that, like, disciple-on-disciple judgment thing— <laughs> Don't judge my partying, man. (laughs) That disciple on discipling thing. (laughs) It doesn't work anymore. Like, this comparison thing, like, how are you supposed to know what God is telling that person down the line? Now, that's true. (laughs) But there are clearly things that are just outlined in terms of the heart of God that we can get from reading the scriptures and from doing life with God. And so it doesn't, it doesn't give you like blank canvas, God can tell you to do anything under the sun and I'm not going to judge you for it. I'll judge you. <laughs> if, if you get way, you know, like outside the scope and the heart of God in spirit and, and, and broadly, right? And so it's not just a pure like, Hey, you know, do whatever you think the Lord is telling you. It's it's like, no, no, no. Like, we need to keep an active relationship with the Lord. But then there's this also overlay where it's like, we know a lot of us know a lot about the heart of God. And sometimes we're looking for rules that say you do this, this, and this three times, and then you're good. No, no, no. He's inviting us into understanding the way he does things and, and the spirit of the law, understanding his mind and his heart, and then responding to his voice as we do that. And so when you live in this realm, this new realm that Jesus is inviting us to live into, where it's not just religious activities, it's not just straight praying three times a day with route prayers and you don't think about it. That's like, that's worthless stuff. 
He's inviting us into the life where it's intentional, and I'm doing the things based upon this active relationship with the Lord, where my Christian life changes as I mature and as I listen to his commands and based on the context that I'm now living in. When we're in that, the need for community, the need for a connection with the Holy Spirit, the need for great pastors and leaders becomes infinitely more important now. Because you need to stay safe in a context where you have more liberty. Right? Like, if I, if I allow my kids to do whatever they want, what I dream about is a house where there's a room and it's only a playroom. Most houses don't have one of these. So you're like in the living room, and there's stuff that shouldn't be touched, and there's stuff that should be touched. There's like toys mixed in with my TV remote and my PS4 remote and my iPad and my work computer. And so in that environment, I'm constantly like, hey, don't touch that. Stop it. In this environment, they're like, and, and then they're playing with toys, and they're going for it and chucking stuff, and I don't care. And then they go over here, and they do something that feels similar, but I'm like, wait, wait, no, 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 not there, not there. That's the blended world that we live in. What I dream of for my kids is the quarantined-off area that's got all their toys, and they can throw crap against the wall, and it's, like, exploding, and, like, I don't care, right? We never clean it up. There's just toys everywhere, and they can just go crazy in there. That's not the world we live in. That's not the world that the Lord has given us to operate in. Despite what popular opinion these days wants. Modern American society wants the room that's quarantined off. You don't tell me what to do. There's no ramifications to my behavior or my actions. I can't crush anything that's valuable or important with the things that I do. Let me do whatever I want. I want to be free. I hate to break it to you. That's not the world that we live in. The actions that you do influence other people, and when you're influenced, it influences those around you. That, that, that's not the world that we live in, and that's not the world that Jesus invites us into. It's this intentional one where you have to know the voice of the Father, where you're walking into a room and it's like, no, 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 you're not ready to play with the iPad yet. You don't know the value there. You're going to bust it up. Yes, you can play with this train toy over here. <laughs> and so one of the visions that we should have for our life is this very active, dynamic, gray zone type of a lifestyle in Jesus, where yes, there are certain black and whites. There are bounds but there's a whole bunch of liberty in here. And I see so many of us judging ourselves and judging other Christians based upon the liberty land that's in here, not out here, and, and self-judgment, judgments of others, and, and I get it. Like, it's not black and white in here. There's a lot of different ways that this thing can look. You know, like, we, were, we did, um, we did a, a teaching this week uh, for the Seven Mountains teaching, which is basically like this idea of, uh, at the end of Matthew, in Matthew 28, Jesus says, disciple nations. It's like, I have no idea what it means to disciple a nation. Like, I know what it means to disciple an individual, I think, but like, what do you mean to disciple a nation, right? And so this is a teaching that was given to the body of Christ as basically like a plan as to what it can look like to disciple a nation. Doesn't matter. We were at, the, we were at this event, and someone was asking me, like, how, did, how do you know which, which the, the path that you've taken? Like, how did you end up here? What did that look like? And I feel like that's a question that a lot of us ask, right? Especially when you're fresh out of school. You're like, 
okay, now I can do anything. What the heck do I do? It's like, I guess there are some bounds in that I'm not going to do something that's like, you know, detrimental to society and like doesn't make any money. <laughs> you know, there's probably like some bounds. But like within that, there's a lot of liberty. And like, how do you navigate that? And the observation that I had for both Suki and I is when Suki got out of school, she was convinced that she was going to be in education. And so she was like, I'm passionate about high school kids. I'm going to go into the classroom. I'm going to have this big influence for Jesus in the classroom. And I'm going to, you know, lead in a way that Jesus would lead. And so she goes and gets her teaching credential. And then she comes out of her teaching credential with a good amount of debt and a lot of time spent investing in this education degree, and immediately God tells her to go be a pastor. And, and like, okay. So she like leaves that thing and then goes to be a pastor. And then she's a pastor. It's like totally nonlinear and illogical, right? Like, why didn't God just say like, hang out for two years, pray, in two years I'm going to call you to be a pastor and it's going to be awesome, right? <laughs> but it's like, okay, I'll go over here and then I'll come back here. And mine's the same way. Like, I knew I was called to business. I, I, from, the, from the time that I encountered the Lord, knew I wanted to run with him, and, and wanted to do life, there's always this like very much out in the world, doing life in the world, but doing it as a light and a powerful light. And I remember having dreams about, man, like it, when I was coming out of school in 2002, I didn't know anybody in the body of Christ that was doing the kingdom business thing really well really well. I knew, I know they're out there, right? Like, I'm not saying there weren't any out there. I didn't see any, and I couldn't look out there and say, whoa, like, look at that person. They are living life in the workplace amazingly well. And so in the last 14 years or so, there's been huge strides in that area, and now we can see them everywhere. It's awesome. But for me, I came out, and I'm like, I want to do the kingdom business thing, and God's like, awesome, going to ministry. I'm like, What? Like, go on staff with InterVarsity for four years? Like, that has—that is so nonlinear. That is so, like, not—you know, that's not the next step. And so, we've got to get comfortable with the idea that this is how God is. This is the God that we serve. God doesn't always say fast no matter what the season, and he doesn't always say like, hey, if you're called to business, then just work your best in the business path and go down the business line and you'll get to the business end. And that's our logic, and that's leaning on our own understanding. And so when you start to realize that God is like, he's not like us. And the most important thing in his mind is that you trust him. The most important thing in, your, in his mind is that you trust him for your life. And so he does weird stuff. And he does stuff that doesn't make sense to you because trust is the thing that he's building. He goes like, watch this. Go on staff with IV for four years. Doesn't make any sense. But then four years later when you go out into the work world, you're going to get fired from your first job. Like, that didn't make any sense either. I was like, wait, don't you, like, do the thing that you're telling me to do, and then you come out, and it's like, I get instantly promoted to CEO? Isn't that, like, how it's supposed to work? It's like, I have no idea why, but I'm anointing you CEO of Microsoft. Like, actually, not Microsoft. Of Apple. Like, go for it. You know, like, that was my dream at the time. You know, and, like, that's not what it looks like. I get fired, and then I'm like, Okay, God, like, what are you doing now? I thought we had learned the lesson about what it looked like to trust you with finances. That's why I made 
you know, under $20,000 a year for four years, you know? And so when you start to see that that's how God operates, it starts to put a demand on you in, in these two areas that I was, I was talking about. One is community. Man, like, it's really helpful to have people around you that you know can hear from the Lord. Leaders and peers where you're like, this one doesn't make any sense. And I'll totally do it if it's God, but it's got to be God, you know? Like, there's a lot of those in life. And so when, when, when you're in that situation, to have people around you, that's huge. But it only exists when you're, when you're in this paradigm that Jesus is introducing right now. You can do life just fine outside of this paradigm Where God doesn't tell you very much It doesn't change season by season and It's mostly logical You're going to do great on your own Keep going in that direction The problem is it's just not discipleship with Jesus It's not following him So one is the community The other one is this demand that you stay current with the Lord And what I mean by that is There's this interesting that hap- thing that happened in the Old Testament So in the Old Testament, Israel, the people of God were out in the wilderness. God was teaching them primarily out in the wilderness how to trust him. Because they were going into situations where they would need a tremendous amount of trust in their God. They would face giants in the land. They'd face situations where Pharaoh's army's behind them, and they're like having to cross a sea that's like a sea. (laughs) And there's no pass through. Right? I'm like, how do you say this? It's a sea, and, and then it's got to, like, open up, and you go through, and it crashes on Pharaoh's arm. Like, these are hardcore, high-trust type of things. And so one of the mechanisms that God used in, for the Israelites in the wilderness was that manna, food, fell out of heaven every day, and that's how they ate. So it was this daily sustenance thing where it's like, if the, if the food doesn't drop, the bread doesn't drop from heaven today, we're done. Like, there's no food out here. We're done. If God doesn't show up, we're done. And so every day they'd come out and it'd be like, whoa, it rained bread again. This is awesome. There's bread everywhere on the ground. But the thing that's crazy about this is it would expire that day. So the provision for today for the Israelites was toxic the next day. It literally spoiled and would be toxic to your body. It wouldn't be life-giving like it was the day before. And so God was introducing this principle for the Israelites of like, one, this is about trust. And two, you can't live tomorrow off of today's provision. The way that I'm speaking to you about how to do life today, usually it builds upon and builds upon and it builds upon, right? So like what God did yesterday, I build upon it tomorrow. And so there's a sense of building that happens with God. You go from glory to glory. But there's also a sense that if you're feasting, if your primary sustenance is coming off the stuff that gave you life yesterday, you're at risk of not being current with the Lord now. And so there's this thing where it's like, it is super important for us to learn how to connect with the Holy Spirit constantly. There's this just constant thing that's going on with you and the Holy Spirit where it's like, okay, Are we going in the same direction as we were going yesterday? Because I'm listening, right? And you kind of, like when you're in that lifestyle, you have to hold everything kind of loosely. Like what can you hold tightly when that's the case? Like you're holding on to your manna. It's like, oh, the provision from yesterday. It's so safe. Oh, it's here and I've got grasp of it and it's so nice. And it's like, you know, it's safe, (laughs) you know? 
I don't need to worry about God showing up today. Right? And so it introduces this environment where it's kind of interesting because change is kind of the name of the game. Change is the thing that you kind of got to always be ready for. It's kind of be like, okay, I'm like dressed up to go to work, Lord. Like, we're still doing this thing, right? You know? And we're not living the lifestyle where we like quit six jobs in a row and we're like flying over here on a small prophetic word and then we're flying over here. Like, that's what it looks like outside of community. You get a word and you like have no one to vet it by and so you're like, I guess it's the Lord and you fly over here and they're like, oh, blew up. That wasn't God. Like, oh, shucks. I just risked everything on a prophetic word that was wrong. You know, it's not that at all. In community, it's really safe. But it's this active thing where you're constant moment by moment. It's like, okay, Jesus, like, just like it was for the disciples. What are we doing today? It would look like with logic, you've got a mass of 10,000 people out there. It probably would make sense for us to sit here and preach to them because that's massive influence. Nope, we're going to get in a boat. We're going to leave that 10,000 people. We're going to go across the sea. What? Okay. I guess, you know? And so I wanted to kind of like re-anchor us in this lifestyle that we need to hold everything that we're, we're, we're going for, even the provision of yesterday that the Lord, we're holding it loosely. If God told me to quit my job tomorrow, I'd quit it tomorrow. If God told me to move out of the house that he gave Suki and I tomorrow, I'd quit, to, I'd, I'd sell it tomorrow. Right, like, that's, that's kind of like how we have to interact with the Lord. And when we do, it changes everything. But the hard part is, this is a lifestyle where you're just living in change. You have to be ready for change constantly. And what it does is now, the security that you have in life has nothing to do with the job that you have, the house that you live in, or whatever. And it's really hard to step away from security that's like so comfortable there and start to live it based upon a person. That's like the big challenge. That's the big challenge, because the discipleship life of following Jesus is faith and trust built on a person, not based on any of the other stuff. That's right there, and it's tangible, you know? It's right there. It's like, man, I know I can feel good about my relationship with God today if I just fast. You know why? I just earned my own righteousness. It made me feel good yesterday when I did it because I feel hardcore. And today Jesus is like, why are you not eating? Like, aren't you hungry? Like, go get a burger, stupid. You know? What are you doing? No one told you to fast today. You know? But then you're going to the wedding and you're like, ooh, Chinese banquet food. Like, get it. Let's do this gonna be amazing just like how about a fast today you're like oh oh no my faith isn't a person not in honey walnut prawns <laughs> your religious activity is dead the moment you disconnect it from life. And Jesus is life. So whatever religious activity you feel really good about doing and it's really life-giving, as soon as it's disconnected from Jesus, it's dead religion. 
It's now the illusion of a relationship with God without the life and the power. And that's dead religion. And there's, it's so easy and it's so comfortable for us to get into a place where we live in dead religion. Where it's like, it's what I do. It's what I do every time. And God told me to do it 18 years ago, and I'm still doing it today. And there's some stuff where that's okay. Like, I'm not knocking routine. I'm not knocking consistency. That's not the point, right? What I'm saying is, have great routines. Just stay current with God. And if he wants to kill any of them, let him kill them in a heartbeat. If he wants to resurrect new ones, let him build it. Don't allow the routines and the religious activities to replace a relationship with God where all of a sudden you're doing all this stuff, but it's without the relationship. That's where we do not want to get to. That's where we end up 10 years down the line. There's very little fruit in our life. We're kind of like not that joy-filled inside, but we've gotten used to it. So it's kind of just normal. I kind of do my job, and I get paid, and I— don't see really anybody impacted, but, you know, I don't know what else to do, so I'm continuing. Like, yes, you get the current comfort of feeling like I don't have to live like I'm guessing what God's going to do today, but you know what you also lose? Any adventure, any connection with, like, the source of life that just fills you with joy, anything where you step out in a way where you're like, oh my gosh, like, if God doesn't show up, I am done. And then he shows up, and you're like, oh my gosh, what else am I living for? Like, I just found the meaning of life. Like, all of that stuff goes away when we start to get too comfortable. And so the invitation that I would give you is remember why you do the stuff that you do. It is super easy to get caught in a thing that you do where you never reassess, oh yeah, why do I do that thing that I do? And then bring that stuff that you do consistently before the Lord and you'd be like, man, Lord, our quiet time has looked the same for 16 years. Is it possible that you might want this to look different? Yeah, let's, let's do something different today. You know? Come to church, it's like, okay, here's worship time. This is what it looks like to sing worship songs. Which is fine if you're in that season. I'm serious, right? It's fine if you're in that season, but if you've been in that season for 10 years, dude, that's not what worship's supposed to look like. If the, the bridegroom shows up, he inhabits the praises of his people, it's like, Jesus is here! Oh my God! Yes, Lord! These things we're singing is actually who you are, right? So it's like, there's probably a time where it's like, the angels are doing cartwheels just because you're in church, and this is like the most joyful thing. All of heaven's erupting because you're in church and you're sitting there like that. But he moves you out of that season, and it's like, are you going to move with me into the next season? Where it feels awkward? Where you're not a good dancer and you're in the front row and like I'm prompting you to dance and like you look stupid and there's 120 people behind you like are you gonna do it right like 
So we have to stay current. We have to reassess constantly, like, why do I do the things that I do? Should I change? Holy Spirit, what's new today? Where are we going? What are we doing? Like, in the areas that I've built structures, do you want to disrupt my structures? Because that's what he's talking about here. Check this out. In the second part of the passage, no one sews a path, patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment. The, path will pull, the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do you pour new wine into old wineskins. If you do, the skins will burst. What is he talking about here? You have a container for wine. You put wine in it, and it's new wine at that time. It's the current thing that God's doing, if you will. You pour new wine into it, into that container, and it does its job beautifully. And wine comes out the other end, and it's fermented, and it's glorious, and it's aged, and it tastes good, and it makes you feel good. Right? That's the original process. You save the container when it's done. You save the structure, if you will. And you go, okay, what's the new thing God's doing? And you're current with the Lord. And you go, okay, Lord, like, oh, you're doing this thing now. Okay, new wine. And he's like, no, 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 change the wineskin. You're like, but this wineskin worked so well last time. Last time I prayed and fasted for three days, it totally worked. On the other side, I got this glorious revelation of the Lord. So I'm going to pour the wine into this thing and and then you pour it in, and it seals up, and it ferments, and it expands, and the wineskins burst all over the place, and the new thing that God's doing is wasted in your life. It's all over the ground because you didn't change the structure with the new thing that he's doing. That's what this whole passage is about. It's about making sure that, that we're hearing the new thing that the Lord is doing, but we're also flexible enough that our structures adapt and change. What would you guys do if next Sunday I came in here and I was like, Lord spoke to me over the weekend. Church looks completely different. We're not doing a worship set. We're not having a word. We've done this enough. We're going over to People's Park for the next eight months, and we're going to feed people, wash feet, and love on people for church for the next eight months. New structure. I can tell you one thing. A lot of us would be like, oh. <laughs> I got to, like, wash some dirty, dirty feet. On Sunday, like maybe I start to watch more Sunday football, you know, Sunday football, like instead of coming to church, you know, like it doesn't feel as good to sit in a horribly uncomfortable pew and sit there and, you know, do what we do. This is a structure. What we do here and how we do it, it's a structure. It's a means unto an ends. This, this thing should be flexible for us. And by the way, I'm preaching this at myself right now, right? But this thing that we do, if we're going to walk with Jesus, it should stay flexible in our church life. Yeah, we're doing small groups this week. What? God wants to do something different. Doesn't want to do Bible study anymore. We've done that for two years. We'll co probably come back to it. But right now, he wants us to focus on social justice. So we're going to go out and learn how to feed the poor and love the one. So now, midweek groups completely changed. We scrap those. We go with something new. Like, are we ready to do that? Are we as a community and a body ready to flex like that? Because that's the invitation to the church. It's not just individual life. It's corporate life, too. And so we need to remember, like, the stuff that we do here, it's all a means unto the ends. It's all a means unto an ends. All right, let's get the worship team back up here. We always do that. It's a dead structure. We didn't do it last week. That's right. I was branching way out. We just closed. 
So there's a couple of things as the worship team comes up I want to call out. One, I think there's a healthy realization. Every hand in the air. You can put it down if you don't like what I have to say. Every hand in the air. I am resistant to change. <laughs> it's just good to confess. It's just true for all of us, right? It's just good to recognize it. For me too, like there's, you know, we get better over time because we trust Jesus more and more and we're like, yes, like change is hard, but I'm just hanging on to you. I know how to do that. I'm looking into your eyes as this thing goes on, but there are things that just make us resistant to change. We are people that want comfort. We are people who want security, and that is really good stuff as long as it's found in a person and not in our structures and not in the things that he's given us. But it's good to just say a constant reminder. This is like a health check for us. It's like, how much comfort are we getting from our structures versus staying current with the Lord, staying active with God? Oh, yeah, I remember who you are. Great, where are we going today based upon who you are, right? And so it's, there's this thing where it's like super healthy for us to just stop and go like, oh, yeah, we don't want to have expired structures with the new thing God's doing. I'm resistant to change, so let's make sure to stay current. I felt like as I was prepping, there was something that the Lord kind of put on my heart um, for some of you. I felt like some people in here were feeling feelings of frustration with God. And I felt like those feelings of frustration were coming from a couple of different places. One was for people that are active with the Lord, feeling like they're right on the precipice of the new thing and wondering how to change the structure and what change needs to happen in order for that thing to happen. So if you're in this place, you probably, you're, you're probably nodding inside right now because you know exactly what that feels like. It's like, man, something's going on in me where I know I'm on the precipice of God doing a new thing. There's new wine coming into my life, but I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how to get it. I don't know where it is. And what I'd say to that group of people is, don't worry about it. <laughs> Jesus comes when he wants to come. The people that were feeling the John the Baptist thing, and they're like, man, I kind of don't like this dude. His message is kind of hard. I want the Messiah. I want the next thing. I want the more. Lord, I want the more. Right? He was coming after the John the Baptist period, and Jesus showed up when he wanted to show up. God's got his times and his seasons. It's not for you to demand the new wine comes. The demand on you is not to demand the new wine. It's to make sure that you're in a place where you're ready to receive the new wine when he chooses to come. And so a lot of us are feeling frustrated. It's kind of a godly frustration because you're, it, it shouldn't be frustration. What it should be is like, wow, that's hunger. That's hunger that the Lord intends to satisfy in this next thing. So it's a godly hunger but don't get frustrated with the Lord on his timeline. Be like, oh, thank you for the hunger. Thank you that the new wine is coming. Thank you that that is a sign that you're doing something new. Let's stay current. What do I need to do? Prepare. What does it look like to embrace John the Baptist right now? Because that's the thing that you're doing right now. Jesus says to the Pharisees at some place in the gospel, I can't remember, he says, you're not receiving me because you didn't receive John the Baptist. That's a crazy thing. In other words, like, embrace the preparation season. Whatever preparation season, whatever God's doing right now, embrace it and say, okay, the hunger for the deeper thing, Jesus, when you come on the scene, let me experience right now in the way that you need me to experience it so that I can embrace what you're doing now and be ready for your coming when you come with the greater thing. And so, like, stay in your lane. Know what your job is. You're right here. 
You're not deciding when the Messiah comes into your life in a greater measure. You're just, you're just in your lane being like, okay, God, soften my heart. Make me flexible. I trust you. Stay current, that kind of thing. Others, I think, are frustrated because you're feasting on some old manna. I think that you're, there's religious structures in your life that you've been doing for so long that you're not even sure why you do them anymore. And God's like, dude, you're like, you're not even last season. You're, you're like three seasons ago. <laughs> like, come into real relationship with me. Like, invite my Holy Spirit to help you to experience the real deal. Do you guys know what the key to staying current and key to having an active relationship with the Lord is? It's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one who leads and guides us into all truth, is what Jesus says. It's the Spirit of God that will make your life full of life and joy and passion. He'll lead you into connection with Jesus where you, he unveils the Son and the Father to you. And you're like, oh, that's Jesus. You're showing me Jesus. And he's like, I know. Like, I get to do this. This is my job. Like, I get to <laughs> reveal the Son and the Father to you forevermore. Like, this is what we'll get to do together, right? And so don't replace the Holy Spirit with religious structures. constantly come to the Lord and be like, I'm done without your spirit. There's not a chance that any of these religious structures provide any kind of life if it's not active in your spirit. So if you're feeling frustration because you feel like, man, it's stale and it's old, come back afresh to, to the spirit of God and be like, spirit, it feels stale and it feels old. Bring it back to life again. What are we going to do? Show me what we're going to do. Speak through my friends. Speak through my pastor speak through the television, speak through whatever you want to speak through. I don't even care. I'm just listening. Speak to me. That's in the frustration camp. The last thing I'll, I'll mention is that we need to get really good, really, really good about not leaning on our own understanding. This life with God, man, this, you know, all throughout Matthew, the thing he says over and over again is, follow me. Follow me. That's what we signed up for, is follow me. And that has nothing to do with analysis of the situation. That has nothing to do with anything except for, oh, you're still here? Great, I'm still here. That's what great following looks like, right? Oh, you're right here? Oh, okay, I'm right here, <laughs> right? That's what it looks like to be a great follower. Like, okay, this is what we're doing now? Okay, this is what we're doing now. You know? And so, let's just, like, determine, man, this is the life that we're going to live. I'm not leaning on my own understanding. I'm following Jesus. We're doing the real deal thing where I'm current with the Holy Spirit. I'm active in community, so I feel safe that the things that I'm hearing are being vetted by a larger, by a larger audience than just me. I'm not going to step out in some area where I get destroyed because I thought it was God, and I'm not because I've got community and I've got leaders that I trust. And let's do this thing. Cool. Let's stand. All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you haven't called us to dead religion. 
God, thank you that you haven't called us to a way of life where it's just the same thing over and over again. Never changes. It's always the same. Thank you that you've called us to a dynamic relationship with you where we're responding season to season, changing our structures, seeing the fluidity of our God and following you. God, help us to be like, I get this picture of like Jesus walking and we're the ones behind him with our hands on both of his shoulders. You know how you like follow somebody where even if you're blind, like you can, you can grab both shoulders and then like wherever they go, you're going. I kind of get that picture right now where it's like, okay, all of my trust is because my hands are on your shoulders right now. And none of it has to do with my ability to see because you're blindfolded at times and you're just following Jesus around. God, help us to be in a place, God, where our trust is in you. Help us to be where we're not leaning on our own understanding, but we're able to embrace the thing that you're doing, to go where you're going. When you turn right, we turn right. When you turn left, we turn left. And God, we just follow you into fullness of life. And we follow you into Christ-likeness on this earth, where we're loving this earth and displaying the glory of God because we're right there with you. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that this would be a wave of your coming where, God, old relationships and out-of-season manna would be done away with, God, to a newness of life in the spirit of the living God. God, where people's old structures even now would just be done away with, that they'd be melting, God, under your glory and your love in this place. God, that literally as we worship, God, with hands in the air, God, that, that chains of old would be broken off, God. And that you'd be replacing new things, God, where there was old things, God. Thank you that for the Israelites, every day there was man on the ground. Every single day. There wasn't a single day, God, that there wasn't man on the ground, except for the day that you were giving them the better thing, which was the promised land. And so, God, we just look to tomorrow and we say, God, tomorrow will be better than today because we're going to be following you and we're going to be trusting in you and your provision is strong and your glory is strong and life in you is better than any other life. And so, God, that's what we ask for, God. We ask for the active life in you, the current life in you, the one thriving in community where we get to follow you, Jesus, and see you do marvelous things on the earth. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.